Turn with me this morning in our Bible to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And for those who are visiting with us, we're really glad to see you. Just want to point out we've been preaching slowly through the book of Philippians. And we're now in chapter 4. I invite you to turn to that portion. Philippians chapter 4. We're reading from verse 1. Remember we're reading from the, the authorized version. A most reliable and faithful translation of the Holy Scriptures. Philippians chapter 4 verse 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Therefore my brethren. Dearly beloved and longed for. My joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord my dearly beloved. I beseech ye Odeus and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which laboured with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow labourers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, Think on these things, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Amen. We pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now we do. Now my text this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7. And my theme today is God's answer to worry. Now remember, we have described Philippians 4 as one of the most pastoral, practical, and personal sections of the whole of the epistle. As the Apostle Paul draws this letter to the whole church at Philippi to a close, he issues a series of general commands or general exhortations to every believer. Think of 4.1, stand fast in the Lord. The second exhortation was an appeal for Christian unity. Don't let your disagreements, he's saying, become so divisive that they lead to disunity among yourselves in the church. The third exhortation was to help each other as they labor for the Lord and living out the gospel. The fourth exhortation, Philippians 4 and 4, was to rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. In other words, the Christians in Philippi were to be glad in Christ. They were to delight themselves in him. They were to cultivate in their hearts and minds a spirit of true Christian contentment. And remember, this is a command, even in the midst of trials and troubles. This is a command when you're in tears. When you're facing hard and difficult times. I don't believe the Apostle Paul is being unreasonable here. I don't believe this is a, a cruel joke to, to mock us. This joy of the Lord can be cultivated. 
It can be experienced because it's the very joy of the Lord that is gifted to us by the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Bible speaks of joy unspeakable and full of glory. And this is an epistle of joy. There's 24 references to joy, rejoice, rejoicing. Remember, I told you Warren Wearsby little series in the New Testament, the B series. And in Philippines, he writes, be joyful. Now, last week I asked the question, how can we begin to fulfill these commands? You've got this call to be honorable men and women and stand fast in the Lord. You've got this call to humility and to be humble, um, even in disagreements. You've got this call to be hard workers. Remember, every true believer is a laborer in the work of God. You've got this call to true happiness, to know and experience the joy of the Lord in your heart and mind. And you've also got, fifthly, a call to be holy in living out the gospel. The word for moderation, remember, is a reference to our reputation, our testimony. There's a value to every testimony. Every testimony has to be verbalized. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. But every testimony has to be visualized. It, it has to be seen. So, so think of these five exhortations. Uh, and then he, he gives us another exhortation. Here's an exhortation to be spiritually healthy. Here's God's answer to worry. The Apostle Paul has just exhorted the believers to rejoice in the Lord always. To remember they've got a reputation, a testimony to live before all men. Remember the Lord is with you. He's at your elbow. He's watching you. And, and you, you think of this um, thought, then what he says. He says, be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, isn't it true that there are times in our lives when spiritual joy is pushed out the window for hearts and minds? When we forget about the presence of the Lord, that he's at our elbow. Because there's times we don't feel like rejoicing. We forget our testimony for patience and gentleness and kindness and selflessness. Why? Well, we're often full of fear. We're full of worry. We're full of anxiety. We live in a world of sin and trouble. We face disappointments. There's times we're full of despair. We lose heart. We lose hope. Our circumstances and situations can change so suddenly. And remember, in the first century, the majority of the believers lived in a dark, difficult world, in, in a mad world, in, in a bad world, a world full of cares and problems. And they were probably asking themselves, well, well how can we be healthy Christians? How can we be spiritually healthy? See, I believe that what is true in the first century is true in the 21st century. The majority of believers in Philippi were full of worry. They were no stranger to worry. And what is true with them is true with us. We, we worry about big things. We worry about little things. It eats away at our heart and mind. And often we hear the sentiment, well, I'm stressed out because of this and that. I'm having a bad day. Or I'm having a panic attack because of this or that. 
See, the majority of psychiatrists and psychologists, and they have a role to play in people's mental health. They say, and especially Christian psychiatrists and Christian psychologists, this is what they say, that worry is the most common mental disorder that they encounter in their medical centers. And yet listen to Paul as he gives this exhortation about being spiritually healthy. He's presenting to the church at Philippi and to us now today, here's God's answer to worry. Remember, he's in prison. Remember, he's awaiting sentence of death. And yet under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he he writes, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Sisters, brothers, young people. I put it to you that these are some of the most comforting and most inspirational words in the all of the Bible. Aren't they lovely words? I would encourage you to memorize them. I would encourage you to try and understand what they mean. I would want you to apply them to your situation, your circumstance, whatever it is. So as we think this morning, this exhortation to be spiritually healthy, and at the heart of that health is God's answer to worry, let's learn four things. The problem to be analyzed. If you look at the first phrase, he says, be careful for nothing. Now we'll pause. The word careful means full of cares. The truth is that like the first century Christians in Philippi, we are often full of cares. We we worry about things. We're worriers. We're, We're good at worrying. And that's the problem to be analyzed. Don't we worry about finances? How can I pay this month's bills? How will I fix my car if it breaks down? What if I lose my job? How could I help my children? What about retirement? What if the economy fails? Don't we worry about health? What if I get cancer? What if I end up with Alzheimer's? What if I end up in a nursing home? We worry about our children. Will they grow up to avoid drugs and drink and sexual immorality? Will they be safe in this crime-ridden culture that we seem to be living in? We we hear of this knife crime in London and we wonder, is it coming to Belfast? We, We worry about the children. Who will they marry? Will will they marry in the Lord? Will they choose well? Will they have a godly partner uh, in life and be happy in relationship? Don't we worry about the country? The lawlessness, the wickedness, the godlessness of this age? Don't we worry about the state of the church? It's powerlessness. Aren't we worried about our own free Presbyterian church? Many are concerned about dwindling numbers. Many are concerned about the lack of love. The lack of feeling loved and needed and wanted in the house of God. And we're worried about apostasy in the land. And we're worried about the future. 
Don't we fear the future? We live in uncertain times and uncertain days. We worry about things to do with home. The home life can be difficult. There can be family problems, personal problems. Don't we worry about terrorism? Even here in Northern Ireland, is, is terrorism going to come back because of Brexit? Is dissident Republicans going to rise up again? What about Islamic terrorism? We're worried about government interference in the life and witness of the church. What sinful laws will they legislate for next? Aren't there a call today for abortion and demand, same-sex marriage, transgender issues coming into schools where little primary school children, three and four, are taught about um, transgender issues, robbing them of their innocence? You see, I could go on and on, couldn't I? Many are full of worries, full of cares. And that word careful means full of cares. Many are worried that they've nothing to worry about. Like my mother-in-law, she worries about the grass growing. She worries about the weather. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too windy. You see, there's a thousand and one things that we can worry about. I want to ask this morning, at this present time, is your life full of cares right now? What are you worried about? Are you worried about money, health, retirement, children, the state of the church, the state of the country? Are you worried about things at home, family difficulties, personal matters? Worried about terrorism, the government? Worried in case that Northern Ireland will be annexed against its will to the EU because of Brexit? Then I have a message for you. A message from God. A comforting message. And I want you to listen to what Paul said. And remember, he's in prison awaiting sentence of death. And he's probably got a thousand and one things that could be in his heart and mind that, that are full of cares for him. Listen to what he says. Be careful for nothing. Now, that's easy to say, isn't it? It's very easy to read, isn't it? But how do we put it into practice? Well, I think the first thing you've got to do, and there's God's answer to worry, is this. The problem to be analyzed. Accept that life is full of cares in the first place. Now, secondly... The prohibition that he announces. You see this little phrase, be careful for nothing. It's really a command. It's a, it's a prohibition. He's telling us something that we're not to do. Okay? I want you to think about it negatively. He's not suggesting that we adopt a carefree attitude to life. He's not saying you don't need to think about your finance or your own personal health or your children or home life or about the church or about the country or about the future. It's not a command to be thoughtless and to be reckless. It's not a call to be irresponsible, to throw off every duty and responsibility. For there's too many references in the Bible to, to counter such a notion or such a teaching. And the Bible tells us to take heed unto ourselves. The Bible counsels us to be wise in loads of areas. 
The, 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 the Bible minds, calls us to be mindful of our duties and responsibilities. Our responsibility as a husband, as a father. Rosie has responsibility as a wife and a mother. And you have duties and responsibilities connected to home, connected to school, young people, uh, connected to work, connected to society. And there are things that we have to take care of. We've got duties to fulfill, responsibilities and obligations that we've got to meet. Hadn't the Apostle Paul, didn't he say in Corinthians that he had the care of all the churches? 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You see, it's not talking about living a carefree life. So when he says, be careful for nothing, he's not saying be irresponsible and reckless and don't have cares. That's not what he's saying. I want you to think positively of what he is saying. What, what does the words mean then? This command, be careful for nothing. Well, it means this, and I'm paraphrasing here. I'm giving you my interpretation from the Greek. It means don't be sinfully anxious. Don't be sinfully worried. Don't be full of sinful worry. Don't be full of carping care. Literally, it means don't let allow yourself to be pulled in different directions. You see, the wording here is Old English. It's Elizabethan English. And literally, it means don't be sinfully anxious about anything. I want you to think of the word worry. Where do words come from? Did you know that the word worry is a a German word, it's German in origin. In German, and I'm not going to pronounce it, I, I know no German, uh, but it, it's pronounced um, Wogan. And you know what it means to strangle? That's the German meaning of the word Wogan for worry. And isn't that what sinful anxiety does? It, it strangles us. It's proper to be concerned and anxious about legitimate things. Our duties and responsibilities at home, church, work, society. But, but we're not to be sinfully worried about them to the point that they strangle us. That they rob us of our joy and peace and our testimony. So that our spiritual health is affected. The psychiatrists and the psychologists tell us that... 92% of the things that we worry about are really sinful, illegitimate things. And worry, of course, is linked to depression, linked to despair, to, to mental health issues. You see, it's sinful if we worry about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, where we're going to live, our retirement. Our job, the church and its needs. We're so prone to worry. And when we worry, we panic. And then we get stressed out and we're strangled of our joy and our peace. You see, this is really based on the truth of Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 31. Part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, take no thought. It was the same thing. The, the word was don't be sinfully worried about these things, what you eat and drink and, and whatever. Why? Let me suggest why. It's unnecessary. 
Worry doesn't change anything, does it? It won't make the thing that you're worried about any better or any different. Your situations, your circumstances, your problems will still be there. Remember the Lord Jesus asked us in the Sermon on the Mount, um, which of us by worry or sinful anxiety can, can add to our height? Can we add to our stature? Will it change it? Make us any taller? Yeah, the answer is no. I'll tell you something else. It's unspiritual. You see, worry is not a spiritual trait of the child of God. Remember, Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 20, that we're citizens of heaven. And then we're to live differently from the world. Think of these words, let your moderation be known unto us, let your reputation, your, your testimony, the Lord is at hand. We have got a testimony. We have got a reputation to uphold. And, and as a Christian, we're not to be sinfully anxious because we refuse to leave God out of the picture. There's a woman on the plane. She was taking her very first flight. And that can be a very nervous, wrecking experience. I remember my first train journey coming from Edinburgh uh, over to Belfast when I was in the faith mission. And I can tell you my knuckles were white. And there was another man from Balamina, and he was sitting and he took the um, tissue, he tore it in two, and he put one on each side of the ear uh, to, to drum out the noise. He was really worried. But this woman taking her first flight, when her folks met her, some of the children said to Granny as she got off the plane, well, Granny, how was it? Did the plane hold you up, Granny? And this is what she said, yes, it did, son. But I never put my full weight down in the seat. And how many believers treat the Lord like that? They don't fully trust the Lord. They, they don't put their full weight in him. They, 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 they act and live as if there's really no God in heaven. And, and they leave him out of the picture. Can I tell you it's unprofitable? It'll not do us any good. Worry will distract us. It'll take our mind off the Lord. And spiritual truth will rob us of joy and, and usefulness and peace. There was a church at Leeds one time had this sign up. And the sign was, don't let worry kill you. The church can help. I don't believe that's really true. Can the church help? I'm not so sure. Because our help isn't in the church. The help is in Christ. And the church, of course, has to point you to Christ. And that's one of the functions of a New Testament church, to, to preach Christ and him crucified. And any church that's not preaching Christ and him crucified, I, I say it's an apostate church. So a woman went to the doctors, said to the doctor, 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 I, I worry about everything. And I want to give up my worries. But what can I do when I feel alone? What can I do when I feel friendless? I still worry. The doctor tried to talk to her, but she left with her worries. It's useless. Could I tell you something else? It's full of unbelief. It displays an improper understanding of who God is. It displays unbelief and ignores the fact that he's the all-wise True and living God. It displays a failure to submit to him. 
that he is sovereign, of his providential care and love and purpose for us. It's a failure to acknowledge that he knows best. Remember the Bible says in Psalm 30, as for God, his way is perfect. Remember all sin or all unbelief is sin. Unbelief is a sin. It's a failure and an unwillingness to trust him always and to to only trust him, no matter how dark and difficult the situations are. It's not glorifying to him. It, It doesn't honor him. When Jacob said, all these things are against me, They weren't against him. They were working for his good. Because the Bible tells us in Romans 8 and verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. Isn't that a tremendous truth? Remember when Job lost all? He lost his farm. He lost his family. All children were killed. Ten funerals out of that one home. He lost his finances. He lost his health. He lost the respect of his wife. His wife said, curse God and die. And what did Job say? The Lord gave and the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, Job wasn't full of sinful anxiety about losing this all. In fact, he says in Job 19, though he slay me, Yet will I trust him. Because Job knew that worry, sinful worry, was unnecessary, unscriptural, unprofitable, useless, and full of unbelief. The prohibition to be analyzed. I want you to think of thirdly and very quickly the procedure to be adopted. You see, when you think of these words, be careful for nothing, and you're told, well, you can do better than worry about it. How? By drinking? By gambling? By by drugs? By the internet? Porn? By throwing yourself into work? By retiring early and going on a permanent holiday? The answer is no. You see, for those that sit with psychiatrists, clinical psychologists, many of them who are not Christian, they try to say to individuals struggling with mental health issues, now you've got to pull yourself together here. You've got to stop worrying. It's like the woman saying to the doctor, doctor, I feel like a pair of curtains. And then he tells her, well, pull yourself together, dear. You see, the attitude of many clinical psychologists and psychiatrists is, well, you need to snap out of this. You need to, to cheer up. You, you, you need to um, recognize that these things you're worrying about are not going to happen. You've got to face your worry. You've got to talk about them. And that's good advice. You have got to face your worry. You've got to talk about them. You've got to try and overcome them. But how? You see, by, 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 by merely just talking about it and, 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 and facing up to it, it isn't going to work. You know, the thought here of Paul is not even if you're anxious, try prayer because prayer works. The first is you've got to face up to the fact of your sinful anxiety. See that worry as sin. See it as a lack of faith in God. See it as a spirit of unbelief in the true and the living God. And and, 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 uh, think of this fact that, that, that 
He has blessed you and he has supplied your need and he can help. You've got to ask yourself, are you living for him? Are you putting him first or are you living for self? The root cause of a lot of worry is sin because it's sinful anxiety that Paul is dealing with. And it must be confessed. It must be put under the blood. It must be dragged out into the open. Remember the meaning is don't be sinfully anxious. Don't be sinfully worried about anything. So what's the answer, Paul? Not just try prayer. But once you recognize that this is sinful anxiety. And it's a sin for me to be worried about anything. Then pray about everything. Look at the rest of the text. Paul mentions four words for prayer that are helpful. You've got prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, and you've got requests. Prayer is a privilege, isn't it? Access to the throne of grace. If you're born of the Spirit and indwelt by the Spirit and led by the Spirit, the Spirit of God will, will prompt you to pray. The Spirit of God will help you to pray and help you to pray about everything. Remember what Paul was able to say there in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter he said this likewise the spirit also helpeth our infirmities for we know not what we should pray for as we ought but the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered do you know this morning that God is an interest in you do you know that you're special to him that he loves you if you're in Christ from all eternity he loves you freely sacrificially he loves you personally. He loves you perennially. Do you ever think I'm his? And, and he'll not forget you. He'll not forsake you. He'll not fail you. And I want to tell you this morning, there's no care that you can't bring to him. There's nothing too big or too small. And he's giving us this advice, be anxious about nothing, but pray about everything. The word for prayer here is a word for personal prayer. But in everything by prayer. It's a general word for prayer. It's used really in light of remembrance of him. In, in re reverence for God. That, that you can come personally and have a face-to-face -face conversation with God. That you can come to him directly, penitently, boldly. Let's remember when you kneel for prayer, you're coming into the presence of God. God is holy, but he's also full of compassion. He's a God full of tender mercies. He's the God of infinite grace. And this word for prayer is generally connected to worship. To, to adoration of who he is and what he's like and what he has done. And remember, the psalmist said, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And, and we confess our sins as we come. And, and if we're full of sinful worry, we confess that. Remember, the Bible says, The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And then you've got another word, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Well, that's, that's passionate prayer. It's, it's moving on now. Remember the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer for a righteous man availeth much. And our prayer, of course, has to be in line with God's will and, and God's word. You think of the Lord's prayer for a moment. Our Father, which art in heaven. As we come to God to pray, we remember we're in a relationship with him. 
Are you in a relationship with him this morning? Are you saved? Are you his? Have you trusted Christ as Lord and Savior? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, it's taken up with his name and his kingdom to come. The kingdom of grace, the kingdom of glory, his will being done. And then, of course, it follows on to articulate particular needs. The word supplication has to do with passion and prayer. Putting God first. Then think about this word, thanksgiving. Praise in prayer. We do this deliberately. We tell our soul, be thankful unto him and bless his name. Thanksgiving in a time of trial. Thanksgiving in a day of need. God supplied your need in the past. God has been with you in the present. He not forsake or abandon you. And no matter what you face, death, persecution, trials, tears, submit to him in the present. Trust him for the future. Be thankful in everything. And then you've got the requests. That's pointed prayer. Itemized. The Bible says, ask and ye shall receive. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Hold nothing back. See, there, there's no trial that God isn't interested in. No thing that's too small or too big that he's not interested in. It's a lie to tell yourself that God is not interested. If we bring everything to the Lord, young people about school, we've been thinking about Gabby starting school, remember her in prayer. We've been thinking about those that are planning to go to university, those doing their AS levels, their, their A levels, those that are going into the world of work, those thinking about relationships. Remember the hymn writer, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Joseph Scriven's hymn. Joseph Scriven lived in Banbridge, just down the road, and he sent those words really as a poem home to his mother to comfort her in a time of illness. And you see, you can go to God with your bitterness. You can go to God with your burden. You can go to God with your brokenness. And you can say, here you are, Lord. You've told me, cast thy burden in the Lord. And you've promised to sustain me. And I'm doing it by personal prayer. I'm doing it in a passionate way. I I'm doing it, Lord, with praise in the heart. I'm doing it particularly. In a pointed way. I'm itemizing these things. I'm laying at thy feet. Remember the Bible tells us, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. One final thought. Think about the promise to be accepted. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Notice the word and, young people. That's a conjunction. That's a joining word. It's linked together with what he has said. And the peace of God. If you refuse to be sinfully anxious, be anxious about nothing, Sinfully, you tell that to your soul. And you learn to pray about everything. Then here's a promise that you can accept. And the peace of God. When you fulfill that. And the peace of God which passes all understanding. Shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's not peace with God. In Christ you already have that. Therefore being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But it's the peace of God. 
Peace that passes understanding. Peace in the storms of life. Peace in the trials and troubles. Passes understanding. Isaiah the prophet said, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed in thee because he trusteth in thee. Hearts and minds are under attack. As we'll see next week, there's a battle for the mind, a battle for the heart. And it needs to be kept. And, and what keeps it? The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds. The word keep means garrison. Think of a captain on duty. We'll call him Captain Peace. And Christ is our peace. And he stands as a sentry over our hearts and minds. And, and this, this promise has been declared. This promise is described here. It's passing understanding. But this promise is directed through Christ. Never apart from him. Only in him. It, it comes through him. For those in a personal saving union with Christ. This promise can be a reality. Here's this morning God's answer to worry. The problem that he analyzes. Our lives are full of cares. The prohibition he announces. Don't be sinfully anxious. He then thought about the procedure to be adopted. Let's learn to pray about everything. And then think about this promise to be accepted. Do you know anything of it? The lack of prayer will rob us of this promise. Let's learn to be anxious about nothing sinfully. Let's learn to pray about everything. And let's learn to trust him for anything that comes in life. Thank you for listening this morning. We've slightly over our time, but I appreciate you being here.